0: study through the book of Joshua. Two weeks ago, we started the book of Joshua. We were introduced to who Joshua was himself. I encourage you to get a study on that because he's pushing about 70 years old at this time. He had been serving for 40 years. You see him having a heart for worship, a heart for service, a heart for the Jews. He's an amazing guy. Now, last week, we got into a little bit of verses 7, 8, and 9 about not let this book of law depart from your mouth. And I mentioned and made a reference to uh, having copies of How to Read the Bible, that devotional. I made another five, six copies back there. So if you want to, you can grab a copy of that on the way out. And then we have them getting ready to cross over the Jordan. They're getting ready to move into the promised land and to militarily take over this area that God has promised them and God has given them. So the book of Joshua starts out as a series of military campaigns. Now that sounds very historical and it sounds very boring, but it's actually not. Please remember, these are real people doing real things, really led by the Lord, and they had real struggles like you and I did. So today we're going to be introduced to Rahab. And we're also going to be introduced to the spies that go in to spy out Jericho. And you probably remember the story of Jericho from when you were a child in Sunday school about the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. Well, that will happen in a few chapters, but for right here, right now, they're getting ready to go spy out. So let's see what happens. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Achaia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It happened as the gate was being shut. When it was dark, the men went out. Where the men went out, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in the order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, we're introduced to Rahab here. And it's always interesting when you're introduced to a character in the Old Testament and you see them being repeated a couple of times in the New Testament. Because this is something where the Lord is saying, pay attention. We make this reference a lot. I want you to remember this. Anytime you read an Old Testament story, that story is either there to remind you of what to do or to remind you of what not to do. Paul says that. They're given to us as an example. So when we read about Rahab and we see Rahab being mentioned twice in the New Testament, we need to stop and say, Why is this woman important? So let's talk about Rahab here for a second. Can you guys go with me to Matthew, please? Matthew chapter 1. As you're going to Matthew chapter 1, I'm just going to give you the other reference real quick about Rahab. Where she's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. Great men and women of God that are mentioned. And it says in Hebrews 11, 31, you don't need to turn there. It says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. So that's pretty impressive. Impressive. She's got two mentions in the New Testament. One of them is in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith. This is the group of people that the writer of Hebrews is saying, these guys and gals are examples of faith that we should live by. That's kind of like the Hall of Fame. She makes that cut. And you would think that would be the highest honor that can be given to somebody. But in Matthew 1, there's even a higher honor given to Rahab. In Matthew 1, you have a very boring beginning. I just encourage you guys, and I say this every now and then, I just want to remind you. So often when people say they want to start reading the Bible, they assume to start at the beginning. I'm going to start in Genesis. And Genesis is great. Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, there's some great chapters. But once you get into Genesis a little bit, you get to some pretty tough genealogies, and you start saying, when am I supposed to get out of this? So some people say, well, I'm just going to start reading the New Testament. So they start in Matthew 1, and then you can look at Matthew 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot... They can't even get through chapter 1. Great place to start, book of John. Once you get done with John, I encourage you to go to the book of James. And after James, first John. John teaches you who Jesus is. That's the most important thing. So you get done with John, you understand who Jesus is. Then you go to the book of James. And the book of James is like a spiritual slap in the face. It reminds you and teaches you who you are. And then you get done with James, so you feel defeated. And then you go to First John, and First John's like a big hug from Christ. So it's nice to get the balance there. But in Matthew 1, it starts out with the genealogy of Jesus. This is important because it's important that we can trace the lineage of Christ from David. That's why it starts the son of David, the son of Abraham there. It's important to have this because if Jesus is the rightful king... We need to have the biblical proof that he is the king. He's from the tribe of Judah. He fits all these Old Testament prophecies. So it's really easy to go through this. And you catch some names. You recognize verse 2. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. And then you start in verse 3. Perez, Zerah, Hezron, Ram... You start getting into some names you really don't know. Now, maybe you get a little bit farther and you find out, oh, in verse 5, Boaz, I remember him. Jesse, I remember Jesse. Verse 6, Jesse begat David. It's easy to skip over this. But you've got to remember, Rahab's mentioned. Verse 5, Solomon begat Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begat Obed by Ruth. Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. Why would I bring you all the way here just to say that she's in the lineage of Jesus? Because we have to talk about a couple things. First off, in the lineage of Jesus, there's only five women mentioned. From a Jewish perspective, from a really cultural perspective of 2,000 years ago, no one would care about the women. No one would care. So for God to take time and mention five different women in this genealogy, it really shows the importance of who these women are. And if you're a note taker and you want to know who they are, let's go through them real quick. Verse 3, you got Tamar, woman right there. Next, you got Rahab in verse 5. After that, then, you have Ruth in verse 5. Then you have the woman that's not named but named, verse 6. The king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah, that's Bathsheba. And then lastly, you have Mary in verse 16. Why is Rahab in there? These women are in here to show you how the Lord can use anybody. You've got to remember what Rahab was. She was the harlot. She was the prostitute. I've heard teachings try to water that down. I don't know how you can water that down. She was a harlot. She was a prostitute. She's reminded of us of that in Hebrews 11. We're reminded of that in Joshua chapter 2. That's who she was. But here's our first point for tonight. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. She started out that way. She didn't finish that way. She finished being in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith, and she finished being in Matthew 1, in the lineage of Jesus. That's pretty amazing. So we got some people here tonight that you have a pretty checkered past. It's not how you started, it's how you finish. Please remember these verses, and I know a lot of you know them, but never let it become normal to you. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. We got to remember, not a remodeled version A new creation. The old has gone. You know, Paul goes through this long detail in Romans 6 as the old you is dead. It it doesn't even even exist. And what happens is the enemy always wants to remind you of the old you. The choices that you made. The consequences of those actions. Maybe you have friends and family members that never can get past who the old you is. God sure can. That's why he put a harlot, a prostitute, in Hebrews 11 and put him in a lineage. And it's not just Rahab. The rest of the women mentioned here are not the cream of the crop. Tamar. Tamar mentioned in verse 3. If you remember the story of Tamar, it's this. Tamar married one of Judah's sons. So as you see Judah right there, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now please let me repeat what I just said. Tamar married one of Judah's sons. If you look at verse 3, Tamar had kids by Judah. Just follow that. Don't think too deeply on that, but just follow that for a second. The story goes in Genesis that her husband died, Tamar. Did something that was displeasing to the Lord, and he was killed. So the way it worked in Jewish lineage was the next son would marry that woman to have kids, and so therefore his brother's lineage could live on through him. So his brother marries Tamar... And he does something displeasing to the Lord, so he's dead. So she's lost two husbands now. So she goes to Judah and says, um, hey, next one up, please. Judah stops and says, no, I've already lost two boys. No. He keeps promising her, you can have a kid, you can have a, one of my other boys. You can have, Never does it. So Tamar's great idea in Genesis is, I'm going to go hang out by the road and I'm going to dress like a prostitute. So then Judah will walk by and Judah will see me and say, hey, I'll take the prostitute. How much? So she sells herself to Judah as a prostitute, gets pregnant by Judah, comes back and reveals herself and says, guess what? I got your kids because you wouldn't give them to me. She made the cut (laughs) to be in the lineage of Jesus. Let's keep going on here now. who else do we got? We got Rahab. We've already talked about Rahab. We got verse 5, Ruth. Oh, Okay, you finally, you can't say anything bad about Ruth. You've read the book of Ruth. Every young girl falls in love with the love story in Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite, though. And if you've ever studied out the Old Testament, you don't want to be a Moabite. Moabites are bad. In fact, they're real bad. She makes the cut as a Moabite. Then you got the woman in verse 6 who doesn't even get a name. Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her, who had been the wife of Uriah. That's Bathsheba, because if you remember the story correctly, David had an affair with Bathsheba, and therefore David killed her husband Uriah. These are the women that make the cut. The woman that pretends to be a prostitute to have kids with her father-in-law. Then the woman who was a prostitute. Then the woman who was a Moabite. And then the woman who had an affair. Aren't you glad it's not how you start, it's how you finish? So when you come in here tonight, or you start sharing the gospel, or Satan gets you at midnight and reminding you of your past, aren't you thankful you're a new creation in Christ Jesus? These are the people that the Lord chooses to use. And not just choose to use, follow along with me. Verse 6, David. David, we love David, right? David is the guy in the Old Testament. Work backwards with me. David's dad is Jesse. Jesse's dad is Obed. Obed's dad is Boaz. Which means what? David's great-grandmother was Ruth, the Moabite. Which means, going back to verse 5, David's great-great-grandmother was a prostitute. Rahab. Now think back. Some of you, I can. I can remember my great-grandparents. Some of you may be able to look back and remember your great-great-grandparents. I don't know. It shows what the Lord can do. And so when you read a name like Rahab, it's really easy just to kind of skip over that. But you've got to stop and think, Tie all the verses in the Bible together and say, Rahab, she's honored in Hebrews 11 for her faith. Rahab, she's in the genealogy of Jesus. And what other women are there? Prostitutes and women having affairs and Moabites? Because God's a God of grace. And when we read about Rahab here in Joshua 2, remember grace and second chances and fresh starts. It's an amazing thing. Any quick questions, comments about Rahab before we move on and talk about what Rahab actually does here in Joshua chapter 2? We good? Okay, let's see what she actually does. Jump back now to uh, Joshua 2. We've seen her hide the spies. In verse 6, we see verse 7, the men pursuing. Verse 8, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings on the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted." Neither do there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I've shown you kindness, that you also show kindness to my father's house, and give me a true token. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, and my sisters, and all that I have, and deliver our lives from death. What did Rahab do? Rahab, when introduced to the true living God, said that's the relationship I want to have. She was the woman in Jericho that was about to be destroyed that stopped and said, I really want the Lord. Listen to the description that she says. Verse 9, I know the Lord has given you the land. Verse 9, the terror of you has fallen on us. We're all faint-hearted. Verse 10, we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. That would have been roughly about 40 years earlier. We heard about you destroying the king, Sihon and Og. That would have been in the book of Numbers. And when we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither do there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. Now, what are you going to do with that information? See, this is what separates Rahab from everybody else in Jericho. Everybody else in Jericho had heard the same thing. Kings were falling as these Jews were coming across. These Jews are not military people. They are, they are one generation away from slaves. These are not trained Military people, not like the Philistines. Remember when we read about David and Goliath on Resurrection Sunday, where it says that Goliath was a man of war from his birth. And the shepherd boy takes him out. So here are the Jews coming through. And this is not like your typical army coming through. They're coming through with their wives, their kids, their livestock. And they're taking out armies. So Jericho hears about this. And their response, our hearts melt, we're faint-hearted and we're absolutely scared. So what are you going to do with that? Rahab responds, and faith, that's why she's honored. The rest of Jericho rejects. Now, just think about how simple this teaching point is. It's just so simple. It's not what you know. It's what you do with that knowledge. We live in a country, and you probably work with people, and you probably live with people maybe, that they accept the fact that there's some type of God. They may even go to church on a somewhat regular basis. They may even claim to be Christians. They'll claim to know the Lord. Okay, It's not what you know, it's what you do with that knowledge. Please remember, Judas walked with Jesus for three years. He knew a lot. Please note, the people of Jericho know they're messing with something bigger than them. One of the scariest things to do is to say, I know what the Lord wants me to do and then not do anything with it. That's a really dangerous place to be. I know the Lord, I I know I should stop. I know it's wrong. Anything you say after that, it's just been more sin. I know I really should do this. I know what the Lord's laid on my heart. That's a really scary place to be. Jesus gives a parable in Luke chapter 12, and he talks about responsibility. And he kind of ends the parable in Luke 12 by saying, to whom much is given, much is required. So therefore, if we are given more understanding, more knowledge, we now have a responsibility. So therefore, if I go share the gospel with somebody and I make it clear and I make it evident, they are now responsible for those actions. Not me. That's why Paul could say in the book of Acts, I'm guilty of the blood of no man. Don't carry a burden that's not yours. If you've presented the gospel to someone and they've chose to reject, yes, you love them, keep praying, keep fasting. But just like we talked about on Sunday morning with Paul, sometimes we've got to withdraw them back up. They're responsible for that knowledge. This group of people was responsible. There's no doubt about the power of God. They know it, they hear it, they're rejecting it. Now, now we have to ask ourselves, what is the Lord laid on our heart that we are responsible for? What has he asked you to do is there something that he's speaking to you and saying, this is what I want you to do, I need you to be obedient, and we're dragging our feet on it? Is there something where you know it's wrong? I mean, there's this, you just know it's wrong. And the Lord's already convicted of you, and you're like, I know, I need to stop. Yes, God is graceful. Yes, God is merciful. But There also comes a time where he says you need to be responsible for this. God expects us to grow, not be stagnant. Can you go with me now to Hebrews 5, please? Hebrews 5. He expects us to grow deeper. You know, sometimes i go up to people and say, what are you doing? What are you doing for devotions? What are you doing to grow deeper? We run into a lot of Christians that are perfectly content plateauing. No. Lord, I want to grow. What is it that you want me to do? What, where do you want me to go? What steps do you want me to take? And I want to be obedient to that. Hebrews 5, please. The writer of Hebrews here is pretty straightforward and honest. Take a look at verse 11 of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now, I can't say that from the pulpit. Guys, I'd like to give you so much more, but you're just dull of hearing, so I have to skip over that. No. He's saying, listen, there's so much more I want to give you guys. I can't. You guys quit listening. Verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. Writer of Hebrews comes out and says, Listen, you, you guys should really be deeper than what you are. You should be deeper in your walk with the Lord. Um, you really should be on solid food, but instead you're still on a baby bottle. And, and I tell you, that's a scary thing. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not picking on a guy. I want to make sure you know I'm really not picking on a guy. I was asked to do counseling with a couple one time. It's been a few years ago. Didn't come out here, but they were referred. And they said, Would you sit down and do counseling with this couple? Never met them, so I said... You know, I'm willing to, but you know, I want to make sure you understand that I counseling I do is you know I'm just gonna be straight from the Bible, make sure they're Christians, etc. And the person said, Yeah, they're Christians, not a problem. And so I talked to the husband on the phone, and I said, You know, this is the way I do counseling, you know, it's scriptural, we're just gonna go what the Bible says, the roles of marriage is, etc. And he goes, Yep, I'm fine with that. He goes to a different church, serves there faithfully, um, really wants his marriage to be different, really wants to go deeper in the Lord, fine. All good. He comes out, we have our first counseling session. And I said, we're going to start in Genesis. You know, I think that's a great place to start. Genesis chapter 2, it's the first marriage would start there. So I said, okay, can you um, open up to Genesis? I'm not picking on this guy. He couldn't find Genesis. Now, and I really mean that. I'm not saying this to pick. What I'm saying is, here's a guy that presented himself as very deep, presented himself as serving faithfully in this church, presented himself as being a teacher. He didn't know where the book of Genesis was. And I look at somebody like that, who does, I think, want to grow, but doesn't also understand what it means to grow. And this is where the writer of Hebrews is saying, verse 12, you really should be deeper. You you really should be growing. We do something at the beginning of the school year and at the end of the school year with our boys. We mark their height. It's always fun to come back and how much did you grow? I'd be a little concerned if they started shrinking. I'd be a little concerned if at the age of growth spurts, like Elias is at, that there's no growth in six months. I'd be a little concerned about that. The writer here of Hebrews is saying the exact same thing. As, as a pastor, I should be a little concerned if I've known sheep for years and they're say at the same spiritual spot they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. I should be saying the same thing. You know, you, you probably ought to be teachers by now. But you still need the bottle. Verse 13. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a babe. Unskilled. They don't know. They don't understand. They don't grasp. They have works. They have words. But they don't have any depth in their walk in relationship with Christ. They're a spiritual baby that wants a bottle. Now they don't know that. Because if any of you have ever had a toddler before, the two-year-old thinks they can do anything. It's only us as adults that can look and see that. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal. That's pretty straightforward. I wanted to talk to you as spiritual brothers and sisters in the Lord, but I can't. You guys are too carnal. You're too fleshly. But I had to speak to you as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you're not even able to receive it. And even now, you're not able. Every now and then, I'll, I'll be doing some counseling with somebody or just talking to them, and I'll realize the layers are such a mess that the solid food that we want to give them to help them, they, they are not able to receive. And we got to go back to the bottle. The bottle. And this is where Paul's saying in Corinthians, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you're supposed to be going deeper not just in words and actions but in actual spiritual growth and depth and get off the bottle. Hebrews 5:14 uh, Solid food belongs to those who are of full age that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, the writer of Hebrews is saying we got to get past the basics, guys, and grow and go deeper. So take that point, go back now to Joshua. Once again, Jericho knew all this. You dried up the Red Sea, you've already started taking out kings, we're scared to death of who you are. And what are we going to do with this information, Jericho? Absolutely nothing. Just be careful that as a believer, you don't reach a point where you know what you're supposed to do and you just don't do anything with it. Don't be a believer that's content being on the bottle. You want to grow and go deeper. That's the whole point of It's taking you places where you've never been before in your depth and walk with Christ. And to really understand who Jesus Christ is. So our first point of the evening was... It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Rahab's a great example of that. Our second point here is this. It's not what you know, it's what you do with that knowledge. What made Rahab such a woman of faith? She took this knowledge, applied it, and said, I'm actually going to do something about it, as compared to Jericho that didn't. Now, we're going to get into actually what happens here, but any quick questions, comments about any of that? Growing, going deeper, bottle, meat, etc. Uh, anything here with that? John? And she had enough faith that she just heard. And and that's a really interesting point. And it made me, when you said that, made me think of Jesus. Because Jesus said, we're blessed because we believed while hearing and not seeing. Remember when he went and talked to Thomas after he rose from the dead? And he said, Thomas, you believe because you can see the nail prints. You can see the hole in my side. She said, blessed are those who believe and do not see. Do not see. You're right. Rahab believed without seeing. And something that happened 40 years ago. The crossing of the Red Sea. And interesting thing about Rahab, too, is she obviously married this man by the name of Salmon. We see that in Matthew's genealogy, who had to be from the tribe of Judah. So some Israeli soldier that came and defeated Jericho, hey, you're cute. What's your name? I'm Rahab. I'm the one that saved my family. Well, I'm Salmon. You want to get married? They ended up getting married. She married a good Jewish guy, Jude from the tribe of Judah. It's kind of a neat thing. What else do we have here about anything? Yeah, Corbin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Anybody else have any other questions about uh, lying and the ends justifying the means? The way I'll answer that is if you have to ask that, it makes me concerned about you, Corbin, that you would want to lie. Um, No, I've heard that used too. There is a uh, ministry organization. um, Oh, now I wish we've actually had a representative come out here to church. um, and And they talk about the martyrs. I can't remember what their name is right now. But uh, they use this example when they sneak Bibles in to countries that Bibles are not allowed to come in. They use this example of saying, hey, listen, the important thing is to get God's word out. And that's what we're going to do. And so, therefore, we will stand at the entrance to that country and they will say, are you bringing anything in? And they will have the Bibles hidden in their suitcases and they'll say no. That's what they'll do. Uh, You know, one of the great... Twentieth century martyrs that most Christians really look up to. Uh Dietrich Bonhoeffer over in Germany. You know, he realized the threat of Hitler and the damage that Hitler was doing to the Jews. Uh Cory Tin Boom, that we absolutely love. I'm a huge Cory Tin Boom fan. She would hide the Jews in her house. She would hide the Jews to do that. This is very similar to what Rahab is doing. The reason I hesitate to give such a straight yes or no question answer to that, because I'm a firm believer in yes or no questions, is I can give a straight answer to this. The problem is, what are people going to hear? That's what I'm afraid of. So if I sit here and say, well, yeah, here's an example of Rahab doing this, and here's other people, Cory ten Boom, etc., some people hear, hear different things, uh, you know, maybe... Well, you know what, I go into work and I really don't do anything because I just read and pray all day. And when the boss asks me, did I work, I just say yes, because I lie like Rahab. No, no, that's not what we're saying here, folks. We're not. These are very unique situations, circumstances. You know, we can go down the list. Think about uh, the beginning of the book of Exodus. Let's just keep bringing up biblical examples. The beginning of the book of Exodus. Egypt sees the Jews are populating too quickly, so they go to the Jewish midwives and say, hey, any time a Jewish woman's about to have birth, let us know so we can stand there and kill the baby. Well, the Jewish midwives say, we're not doing that. They're the first people of the pro-life movement. I'm not, that's not a joke. That's the truth. They stopped and said no, and they, said they went back to the Egyptians and said, yeah, these Jewish women, they're not like you Egyptian women. They just have those babies just like that. We, by the time we get there, the babies are already out. We can't do anything about it. That's a lie. Think about Moses' mom. Puts Moses in the river, sends her down. Sister follows. Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby. Finds Moses' sister and says, Hey, do you happen to know a Jewish woman that could take care of this? Now think about this, moms. You have your baby and then you get paid to take care of your own child. Did Moses' mom come back and say, No, you don't understand. He's Jewish. And I tried to hide him, so you probably should really kill him. No. So, I mean, I'm going back to Corbin's question. I think the best way to answer that is what's to scripturally go through numerous examples where there were times where the greater good was to stop and take a stand, and Rahab did that. My only clause I say to that is just be careful how far you're going to take that logic and those scriptures and how you're going to apply that personally. I could see one of my kids when I come in and said, I asked you to clean your room. And they didn't, and they said, sorry, Dad, I was just in so much prayer. Nah, you know, you you had the iPad under the bed, you know, no. So, yes, Corbin, I've heard people use that as well, too. There are ministry, um, Voice of the Martyrs came to me eventually. Voice of the Martyrs uses this example when they talk about, because people have gone to Voice of the Martyrs and said, you're breaking the law by taking Bibles in to closed countries, and Voice of the Martyrs says, yeah, you're right, we are, and we're okay with that. So... I don't know if I dodged your question or answered it appropriately. Gavin. Yeah. It goes against God's laws. Right. Right. I agree exactly. We're supposed to follow follow God's, excuse me, we're supposed to follow man's laws until it goes against God's laws. And so, therefore, we have to understand as Christians, it may come a time and place, even in this country. Once again, please remember, we're meeting freely and openly right here, right now, proclaiming the gospel. Let's never take that for granted. These messages are recorded, we put them online, anybody can listen to them. Let's never take that for granted. There may come a time and a place where that freedom is not there. What do we do? Well, we still proclaim the gospel, because that's what we're called to do we got to remember that. Anybody else have anything here? For everyone? Yeah. Yeah. She did. And that's once again where we look at the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11 and obviously the genealogy in Matthew 1. This is why this woman, here we are talking about her thousands of years later. She had that faith to do it. And what an amazing thing that is. And that's why we're talking about her. She took a stand. She put her life on the line. And, you know, that's the thing about us Christians. I think a lot of times we spend so much time and energy trying to make ourselves as comfortable as we possibly can. I look at Rahab, Rahab's like, no, it's not about my comfortability. It's about me taking a stand. It's about me realizing this is the true God. This knowledge has been given to me. And now I'm responsible for this knowledge. And, therefore, who am I to reject that in any way whatsoever. That's why we're, we're talking about her faith. It's an amazing thing. But hey, watching the time here, we got to kind of, I'd like to finish up chapter 2 as much as we possibly can. Um, we left off in verse 13, spare my uh, father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Verse 14, so the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. And she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall, and she said to them, Go to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days, and to the pursuers have returned. Afterward you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window, and through which you let us down, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all of your father's household to your own home. It shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. And we will be guiltless, and whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head, and if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we'll be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. That really is a kind of a neat example of just a, a lot of things coming together. God's ordaining. God ordained these spies to be at the right place at the right time. God ordained this woman who in his foreknowledge knew that she had the faith. So you see God's sovereignty at work, but you also see personal responsibility. Rahab, if you want your family saved, they need to be at the right place at the right time. I I, I trust the sovereignty of God. I trust the foreknowledge of God. I, I trust that. But I also understand from Scripture, I have a personal responsibility to go proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, this is a neat example of God ordained this, God moved this, God set this up. But yet, Rahab, make sure, make sure you bring the people in as well too. Verse 22, they departed went to the mountain, stayed there three days, until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, crossed over, and they came to Joshua the son of Nan, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land to our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. please keep this in the back of your mind. When we go through the rest of the book of Joshua, there's going to be some tough judgment coming. And it's judgment that people sometimes struggle with. When the Lord comes in and he says, it's time for this city to be destroyed. Some people sit here and say, how can a God of love do this? Please remember Joshua 2. The whole land has heard of us. They have heard of God. They're scared of us. They're scared of God. And what? They're doing nothing about it. They have a responsibility. Because I firmly do believe Firmly do believe that if there was people that were going to be, quote-unquote, saved, that had a heart for Jehovah, the Lord would have ordained it. We see that with Rahab. So these other towns that are willing to reject, and they come in and they are destroyed, they were given foreknowledge. They were given wisdom to accept or reject. And it goes back to that other point. It's not what you know, it's what you do with the knowledge you have. There are going to be people that stand at the great white throne judgment of the Lord that we talked about in the book of Revelation, and they're going to make their case... Of whatever you want to say. Remember Matthew 7. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do this in your name? And Jesus says, away from me. I never knew you. we got to be careful what true, honest Christianity looks like. It's not about us being comfortable. It's not about us just coming and filling a seat. It's not about serving in the back or doing this. It's about having an honest, personal relationship with who Jesus Christ is and the desire to grow and go deeper. And say, Lord, that's what I want. I want more of you. Rahab wanted more of the Lord. She got that. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's a pretty amazing thing. So that finishes Joshua chapter 2. We'll pick it up next week here in Joshua 3. Before we close up with uh, prayer, I know I announced this Sunday, but some of you aren't able to come on Sunday. Maybe you go to a different church or weren't able to make it. Dawn and I are going to be taking off on, uh, actually, I think tomorrow now, taking off tomorrow, and we're going to be gone for a couple weeks. We're taking the boys, and we're heading down to Mexico. Uh, to do some missions work. Uh, This is something the Lord's been laying on our heart uh, last May. We had a woman by the name of Bree come over to our house for a small group study, and she's the one that we've done missions work as a church before down in Mexico, and she was at our house for hours, and we were just peppering her with questions. And the Lord really just started stirring something in Don mine's heart and the boys' heart. We've had, we had foster kids this summer. We had people live with us last spring. Some people live with us over the winter, more foster kids. And we're at a season where we have no foster placements, and we don't have anybody living with us. And uh, Richard's still on staff here before he retires. And so we just said, this is a great season, Lord, and we prayed about it, and we've been praying about it since last May. So we're taking off tomorrow, and we're driving down to Mexico. Uh, We're going to spend a couple weeks down there doing some ministry and some service and some missions work. Um, There's a church plant affiliated with Calvary Chapel that's being planted down there, and they contacted us and asked us to support that. So we're going to go down and see that work. We're going to see what Bree's doing. There's another ministry. And we appreciate, obviously, your prayers uh, for safety to and from, but most importantly, a purposeful trip purposeful when it comes to uh, seeing the gospel go forth and helping whatever way we can. So for the next uh, couple weeks here, we got some great people lined up to do some uh, fill-in teaching, and I hope you're blessed by that. I absolutely love hearing somebody else come up with a different voice, different perspective, different take on things, and I hope you're definitely blessed by that, and I'd appreciate your prayer. I will be taking my uh, phone with me. Um, just remember, Dawn always says, please remind them of the time change. There is a time change and then just do remember, I'll do whatever I can to help. But, you know, Richard's up here. Renee's up here. They got this covered. I trust them completely. And I uh, appreciate prayers and just your hand to be upon it. So I will see you guys in a few weeks. Um and appreciate the prayer and stuff. So would you guys uh, please uh, stand with us as we pray? Lord, we just come to you now. Um, faith. Help us to walk in faith. And whatever you're calling us to do, to that depth and a deeper relationship with you, Lord, and whatever that looks like, Help us not to walk in fear, but in faith. Help us not to walk in contentment and comfortability, but in faith. You've called us to more. We want to obey. and We thank you, Lord. Go before this in the name of Jesus, in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week, and God bless.